Thank you, Brother Terry. If you brought your Bibles this morning, if you would, please turn to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. I want us to look at a couple of verses, Matthew 7, and we'll look at verse uh, 13 and 14. 13 and 14. You know, the most important decision that anybody will ever make is the decision regarding their eternal destiny. Let's say that again. The most important decision that anybody will ever make is their decision regarding their eternal destiny. The Bible says that life here is like a vapor. Having a cup of coffee this morning, early, and I noticed the steam coming up from my coffee cup. And the Bible says that's the way life is. The Bible says it's like steam, it's like a vapor, and it appears for a little while, and then it just vanishes away. Every one of us will live somewhere forever without end. Every one of us will live somewhere forever without end. And whether you live after this life, where you live, I should say, after this life is very critical because you only have two choices. Heaven, which is eternal joy and eternal life and eternal happiness and eternal peace and eternal fellowship with God the Father, or it's hell, it's eternal punishment. And so with these two options, with that in mind, the most logical question this morning is, well, how do I get to heaven? How do I go to heaven? Matthew chapter 7, verse 13. Jesus said, Enter ye at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. According to the Bible, every person stands at a crossroads. Now, we're confronted throughout our lives with decisions. I've divided these decisions up in three different groups. First of all, there's trivial decisions that we make every day, such as to get up, what time to get up, what to wear, what to eat. Those are trivial decisions. Then we have the important decisions. For our youth, coming out of high school, it's, do I attend college, do I go to a tech school, do uh, you know, do I just go ahead and find employment or seek employment? Or where do I go to college? Those are important decisions. Who do I date? Who do I marry? Where do I live? Do we purchase a house? When do we start our family? Those are important decisions. Trivial decisions, important decisions. And then you have the greatest decision, and that is where I choose to spend eternity after this life is over with. That's a decision. That's a choice. 
And so with that in mind, this morning, I have a responsibility, been charged with the responsibility as a, as a God-called preacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ to confront you with the most important decision of your existence. Now Moses felt that same call and that same responsibility. He said, I've set before you this day life and death, good and evil. Choose life that your seed may live. Joshua felt that same responsibility. He said, choose you this day whom you will serve. As for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. Elijah offered the same challenge. He said, how long will you halt between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow Him. If Baal be God, follow Him. Jesus, even Jesus, teaching disciples, His disciples, not His twelve disciples only, but those that were following Him and listening to His teachings and, and, and following perhaps every step that He went, the multitudes that He spoke to, those that were in close proximity to Him, and he offered a challenge to them in John chapter 6. But in verse 66, it says, From that time after the challenge, many of his disciples, those that were following him, those multitudes, they went back and they walked no more with him. Imagine that. Although they were in close proximity with Christ and had heard Christ, listened to Christ, witnessed his miracles, many chose to reject him being close to Him. And so you and you alone will decide the direction in which your soul will go at the time of death. And so we have an invitation. Matthew chapter 7, verse 13. Enter ye in the straight gate, for wide is the gate, broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. He says you have an invitation. There's two gates. Some translations say doors. There's two, uh, two gates, two doors, two ways, two, two, uh, dire two distinct directions. And so this morning, as you listen to God's Word, the sermon, the message, demands a decision from you. Now, prior to Matthew chapter 7, Jesus was teaching the, uh, the, uh, the, the Jews those that were all wrapped up in Judaism, he was teaching them that Judaism really doesn't lead to heaven. He was teaching them it doesn't matter how much you fast and how much you pray and how much you give and how much you obey. You still fall short of what God requires. You see, Judaism was a religion that attempted to earn heaven. So in the sermon... Jesus points out the insufficiencies of this false religion and he confronts them with a choice. He says, all right, you want to go to heaven? Well, there are two gates. One goes to heaven, the other one goes to hell. There's two gates. You say, well, Brother Sammy, are you telling me with all the religions in the world and with all the spiritual insight that we have today that there's still just two options? Well, a narrow way and a narrow gate and a broad way and a broad gate. 
You see, the point is, the contrast is not between righteousness and unrighteousness, but the contrast is between two types of righteousness. Your righteousness and God's righteousness. Now, there's a righteousness that satisfies God, and there's a righteousness that does not satisfy God. Turn back a chapter in Matthew chapter 5, verse 20. Notice what Matthew 5.20 says. Matthew 5, verse 20. We'll come back. He'll say, he's, Jesus says, For I say unto you, that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees. They were pretty righteous. In fact, they were the most righteous of the day. They were the most religious folk of the day. And he says, unless your righteousness exceeds their righteousness, you shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. Look at their righteousness. Your righteousness has to surpass their righteousness. Luke chapter 18. If you would, look at Luke chapter 18. In Luke 18, verse 19. Look what God's Word says. Luke 18, verse 19. God's Word says, well, verse 18 says in, in Luke 18, verse 18, A certain ruler asked him, saying, Good Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, notice, Why callest thou me good? None is good. None. You think you're good? There's none good. Jesus said, None is good, save only. That's God. He's the only good one. Verse 20. Thou knowest the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not kill. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And he said, all these I've kept from my youth up. And when Jesus heard these things, he said, You lackest thou one thing, sell all that you have, distribute to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. And when he heard this, he went away. He was very sorrowful, for he was very rich. Jesus said, there's no one good. The Pharisees trusted in themselves and all of their, all of their religion and all of those things they practiced. They trusted in themselves that they were righteous. So that's the choice. The choice is trust in yourself that your righteousness is enough and you earn heaven. But if it's not enough, you miss heaven. That's the option. It's not about righteousness and unrighteousness, but it's about two different types of righteousness. Your righteousness and God's righteousness. And if you want to die and trust in your righteousness, go ahead, Jesus said but it won't be enough. None's good. Your righteousness, God's Word says, is filthy rags. You're not good enough. No one is, he says. Put it simple. You're good enough, or you're not good enough. And He says you're not good enough. He says the Pharisees were experts in, in being good, but even they were not good enough. Because salvation is not by doing things, but it's by faith in the Lord Jesus. Ephesians 2 verse 8. 
For by grace are you saved through faith, not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, least any man should boast. And so today you have two choices. A narrow way that leads to life, a broad way that leads to death. Two gates, a wide and a narrow gate. Two ways, a broad and a narrow. Two destinations, life and destruction. Two groups of travelers, many and then few. Two trees, good and evil. Two kinds of fruit, good fruit, bad fruit. Way down in the text, you'll find two builders, one wise, one foolish, two foundations, one, one foundation out of rock, one out of sand. You'll find two houses, one out of rock, one out of sand. You'll find two results from the storm. See, Jesus is real clear. He's comparing two options that exist. You earn your salvation, or you can't earn your salvation. Notice, first of all, he says there's two gates. Verses 13 and 14. A narrow gate, a wide gate. But however, listen, on these gates, both point to the kingdom of God. Both point to salvation. Both point to eternal joy. Both point to heaven. But notice, neither gate says hell. There's two gates. But one of them goes to hell. Nobody is selling hell today. Nobody is saying, come join our group, come believe what we believe, and you can go to hell with us. Nobody's doing that. They all say, heaven, do it our way, you go to heaven. Do it this way, you'll go to heaven. They all say to heaven. But one is a path of self-righteousness. The other path is divine righteousness. So you have two gates. And then you have a narrow gate. Notice. He says, enter in verse 13. He begins with the word to enter. Enter, it's a command word. Enter. You must enter the narrow gate. You must enter. It's imperative. Enter. It's not going to happen by accident. You're not going to go to heaven by accident. You have to enter the narrow gate. You must enter the narrow gate. It's not enough to listen about the narrow gate, to sing about the narrow gate, to preach about the narrow gate, to hear sermons or to do studying about the narrow gate, and to, to admire all the scriptures about the narrow gate. You have to enter. It's a command. Salvation, you know doesn't come without a commitment and a decision on your part and on my part. We have to enter. Command is to enter. Enter what? Enter the narrow gate. It's narrow. It's, it's only one way to go to heaven. Jesus said in John fourteen six, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. You say, well, that's pretty narrow-minded. Yes, he was narrow-minded when he came to heaven. There's only one way. Jesus said, I am the way. Jesus said in Acts 4.12, I am the door. And so it's a narrow gate. And there's only one way to be saved. And there's only one person who is the Savior. And there's faith in that person required. 
trusting Christ and Him alone to be saved. 1 Timothy 2.5 says this, There is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. So no other mediator between you and God. No other Savior between you and God. No other way between you and God. It's Jesus and only Jesus. Listen, no Christ, no salvation. It's all Him. No Christ, no heaven. It's narrow. There's a command, enter. Enter into the narrow gate. It's narrow. So you have the command, you have the narrow gate, and then you must enter it alone. It's not a family experience. We were taught Wednesday night that it doesn't depend on your genealogy that you go to heaven or even miss heaven. It's not a family experience. It's not a a group experience. It's not about going to heaven with the crowd. It's not going because mama's a Christian, daddy's a Christian, therefore I'm going to go to heaven when I die. It's a personal experience. It's kind of like standing at a turnstile and and you walk up to the turnstile and it stops and you have to decide whether you're going to enter through the turnstile. It's a personal experience. When you go to heaven, one person at a time, you don't inherit it from your grandparents or your parents. It's, it's individually. It's a, it's a break from the crowd experience, so to speak. Matthew chapter 10. Listen to what God's Word says in this line. Matthew chapter 10. And look at verse 34. Matthew 10, 34. He says, think not that I've come to send peace on the earth. I came not to send peace but a sword. Jesus said, for I'm come to set a man at variance against his father and the daughter against her mother and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law and a man's foes shall be they of his own household. It's a break from the crowd experience. It, it costs you everybody perhaps. Cost you perhaps everything. Even control over your own life as you submit to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And so you enter it alone. It's a decision you make yourself. But notice you enter it with difficulty. Verse 14 in Matthew chapter 7. Notice what he says in verse 14. He says, Because straight is the gate, narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, Notice, and few there be that find it. It's difficult. It's very difficult. It's not easy to deny yourself. It's not easy to take up your cross and follow Christ. Luke chapter 9. If you would, turn there with me. Luke chapter 9. You perhaps remember the scripture in verse 23. Luke 9 verse 23. Jesus speaking to all of them says, And if any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Whosoever will save his life shall lose it, but whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it, or shall save it. For what is a man advantaged if he gains the whole world and lose, and lose himself or to be cast away? It's not easy 
to say no to all of your desires and to give up all of your personal freedom you feel like that you should be making your own choices and your own decisions and not consulting anyone about it. You want to be your own boss, but when you become a Christian, you submit to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. It's not easy. It's hard to humble yourself and to turn from your sin and to repent. It's difficult. People struggle with it. Some of you may be struggling with it today. You have to count the cost. Luke 14, verse 25. What's my advantage in submitting to the Lord Jesus? It's forgiveness of sin and eternal life. It's difficult to enter into the narrow gate. The broad way is much easier. It's difficult to enter in the narrow gate. Few find it. The broad way, if you'll notice, is easier. And many go therein. So becoming a Christian is not easy. It's hard. The Holy Spirit convicts you, and as the Holy Spirit convicts you, you submit to that conviction, and, and you're willing to trust Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior. So you have the command, and you have the narrowness of the gate, and you enter it alone, and you enter it with difficulty. But however, in the contrast, the wide gate is easier. It's wide. I mean, there's no self-denial. There's, there's, no, you know, there's no repentance. There's no surrender to Christ. There's, there's uh, you know, you can, the sins. There's no confession of sins. There's a large crowd. And because you're, you know, if you're, if you're not going through the narrow, you're going through the wide. There's only two gates. No worry. Those going through the wide gate, there's no worry. They're just happy as a lark. They're not worrying about anything. Everybody's happy. Except when they get to the end of the road. The news is not so good. Matthew 7 verse 13 says that this broad way leads to destruction. And many there be which go in thereat. But the narrow way, verse 14 Leads to life and eternal life and fullness and eternal satisfaction and unspeakable joy. That's what that way leads. And so this morning we're faced with a decision. You're standing at a crossroads. You have two gates. Both say heaven. One's self-righteous way. One's God's righteous way. You have one narrow, one wide. You choose one. The one you choose is real critical. One leads to life, the other leads to destruction. And so this morning as the preacher of the gospel brought you to that point of decision. You're not good enough. Or you may think you are good enough. But that's a decision. Trusting in your righteousness or trusting in his righteousness is the decision. Let's bow our heads for a prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for an opportunity that we've had to open your word this morning and as we thought about the greatest decision that one will ever make. And that's the eternal destiny of their soul. And so, Father, I pray for each person here this morning. I pray for those, Lord, who are trusting in their own righteousness. 
And Lord, I pray today, if anything, that you have convicted them that their righteousness is not good enough. That our righteousness has to surpass that of the scribes and the Pharisees. And it's only God's righteousness that can do that. And so I pray today for those who are struggling today in regards to accepting you as Lord and Savior of their life, that they can see that they're not good enough to be saved. I pray today that they'll humble their heart and they'll ask you to forgive them of their sins and to come into their life and save them. And so, Father, I pray, Lord, today that uh, as people all over this room are faced with a decision, I pray, Lord, that they would make the right choice Lord, that uh, where they would receive eternal life. Thank you for your son, Jesus, who came into the world and died on the cross for our sins and offers eternal life as a free gift for those that would turn to him and trust him and him only for their salvation. And I pray today, Lord, that you'd speak to the hearts, Lord, of those who are struggling about accepting Christ today that they would turn to you. Thank you for what you're going to do in all of this. And we make this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.